Give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So, there's wars on the TV. And the price of oil is going up and up and up. Costs more and more to fill your gas tank. And the price of food is the highest that it's ever been in 11 years. Inflation is going through the roof. The Federal Reserve is not sure that they're handling inflation well. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember when we were going to run out of gasoline in the 70s? We weren't sure we were going to make it to the 80s. We weren't going to have enough oil on this planet to run our cars and our factories. And I don't know about you, but we're, what, 40, 50 years past that? We still have enough oil? Remember when your parents had to go buy gas on odd and even days because there was such a big long line at the gas station? Things don't change a whole lot. People still worry about the same stuff. So let me set the Wayback Machine all the way back to 1970. There was a book that came out written by Hal Lindsey. It was called The Late Great Planet Earth. And he took the prophecies in Revelation and he compared them to the military equipment we had. And if you remember, they did a TV series about it and then Orson Welles narrated a movie in that great, deep, rolling voice of his about the end of the world. Did things change? Nope, not too much. If you remember, in 1972, Billy Graham Ministries made four movies. The first one was called A Thief in the Night. And if you remember, they showed it at your local churches and they showed it at the movie theaters. And uh, this, the, hero, the heroine of the movie woke up to her alarm clock and all the people were missing. All the Christians were gone from the planet. And then she realized it was a dream and she woke up to her alarm clock and it was really happening. Now that wasn't too disturbing for people who grew up in the church, but the second movie in the series was called A Distant Thunder. And as per some interpretations of the book of Revelations, the Christians had been taken to heaven and the people who were left were realizing that they needed to make a decision for Christ and the powers that be were herding all of the Christians into the empty churches. You may or may not remember this. It was very disturbing to me. In 1972, I was 12 years old and they showed the Billy Graham movie at my church and I went to see it because that's what you did when you're 12 years old and a good little Methodist boy. And at the end of the movie, they had this big, huge white guillotine. And the Christians who said they would not renounce their faith were having their heads chopped off at the end of the movie. And they were making all the other people who said they were Christians watch. And two of the people in the movie that you cheered for for the whole movie denounced Christ at the end. Oh, I was very disturbed as a 12-year-old. So now I read the late great planet Earth book because my parents wouldn't let me go see the movie, but I was a precocious child, so I did the library and checked out the book, which was 10 times more terrifying than the movie. Now they're chopping off the heads of Christians. That was very terrifying to me. 
And I remember talking to my pastor about what, 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 what happens if Jesus comes back and I get left. I don't want to go down to the guillotine at the end. And he had to have a long talk with this very precocious child who had worked himself into a theological tizzy because he was afraid that his faith wouldn't get him to heaven at the end times. And he had to remind me that he who began a good work in you will see it until completion. Well, that's not the only series of books and movies we have. More recently, when my children were in youth group, Tim LaHaye and uh, Jerry Jenkins wrote the Left Behind series. 16 books, four movies, and you ready for this? There's a video game about the end times based on the books of the movie. And what did it do? It whipped people into a tizzy. It created fear about what's going to happen at the end times. Well, it's not that much different than what was happening in Jesus' time. You may remember the name of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king that was ruling when Jesus was born. And he was not a very good king, but he decided the way to earn his way into the people's hearts was to rebuild and expand the temple footprint in Jerusalem. And it was a glorious temple by all accounts. It was beautiful, it was big, it was the shiniest building in Jerusalem. And all of the Jewish people had a great pride in the rebuilding of the temple. It was so big and so glorious that even though the Romans did honor Jesus' prophecy in 70 AD and destroy the temple, there is still a wall left from the temple with these big hewn rocks. I've had the opportunity to go up to, now it's funny, for all of my childhood and most of my adult life, they've called it the wailing wall. And now they call it the temple wall because they didn't want people to only go there for sad prayers. But that's where Jewish people go. It's a sacred place. And this wall has been there for literally thousands of years. So they were having some pride in their accomplishments. Look, Jesus, look at this big, beautiful temple we built to you and to your father. And what does he say? In one sentence, he says, it doesn't mean anything. I'm telling you the truth, they're going to knock it over. Like Legos or those little building blocks we give small children. One day, that building is going to mean nothing. In fact, he says, people are going to come and tell you about wars and rumors of wars and that the end of the world is coming. Just think of the children's story, Chicken Little, remember? Something hit her on the head and she ran around shouting, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. It wasn't falling. Jesus says, you need to ignore all of that and focus on the good news. Well, what's the good news? The good news is that God has everything in hand and he told us that because it's in the book. A television preacher recently talked for an hour about his new book that supposedly explained everything you needed to know about the coming of Jesus in the end times. You must have this book, he said, over and over again, and a telephone flashed on the bottom of the screen, a telephone number. It seemed that he was the only one who had prophetic insight into all of the world's events, and for the mere place 
of $14.95 plus shipping and handling, you could benefit from his wisdom. Bass Mitchell, an insightful biblical commentator, called the number and suggested to the pure operator, poor operator, that if this preacher really thought this was so vital to the survival of the planet and the end was so near, he would give the book away for free. I mean, he said, he won't need the money, right? It's all coming to an end anyway. Who's going to need a bank account? True, it costs money to print, but he won't have to pay for it if it goes as he says. The woman on the other end of the phone was not amused. Sorry, sir, she said, but I don't know much about theology. To which Bass Mitchell replied, neither does the writer of the book you're selling. We get so worried about trying to figure out what the end is and all the problems we have now we forget that God is in control. Setting the Wayback Machine back to 1972 again, I remember going to youth group and singing a very poignant and troubling song by Larry Norman. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. The children died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. The father spoke. The demons dined. How could you have been so blind? I wish we'd all been ready. You've been left behind. I remember hearing that, and it didn't encourage me to grow in my faith. It filled me with fear. See, everything has a beginning and a middle and an end. And Jesus reminds us that God is in control all the way to the end. And that in the end, God wins. The end times, the apocalyptic literature is the fancy word for it, mostly in Daniel and Ezekiel and in Revelation, is not designed to scare people into heaven. It's designed, it's written, so that we who are believers can have hope that there's more than this. The price of gas is going to go up. The price of gas is going to go down. Guess what it's going to do? It's going to go back up. It's going to go up and down and up and down. And we can't base our faith or our belief that God is in control on the troubles and the rumors of war and the finances. So there's three things that I think Jesus wants us to look at. And the first one is this. We cannot know the future. The second one is this. We cannot know the future. Our task is to make the most of the present. And the third point is this. God knows the future. Well, what does it mean to do your best in this time? I love when Wiki talks about being approved by her mission board and being sent to France did you know that you don't have to be approved by a mission board to be sent 
on a, a missionary journey, so to speak. And here's a story of a British missionary. Her name was Jackie Pullinger. And at the age of 22, she believed that God was calling her to be a missionary. On the advice of a mentor, she packed one bag and a $10 note and boarded, boarded a boat head for China. Along the way, she prayed for God to send her wherever he would use her. And when the boat arrived at the infamous drug and crime-infested slum known as the walled city of Kowloon in Hong Kong, Jackie heard God telling her that this was her new home. Alone, with no mission society or church supporting her, Jackie walked the dangerous streets of Kowloon every day and shared the message of Jesus with drug addicts, gang members, and prostitutes. And over the years, she brought thousands of people to Christ. And she has established numerous rehabilitation centers for addicts and prostitutes. She was interviewed by the editor of a Christian magazine, and he asked if Jackie thought that the British church was sending out enough missionaries. Jackie said her biggest concern is that the Bible tells that we are supposed to all be missionaries. Jesus left us behind to do his work. Yet most of us miss the point of life completely by living only for ourselves, Jackie said. This is a very short life. And eternal life is forever. And we're going to feel stupid for eternity if we wasted this one. I was uh, preparing for the sermon and I read this story that really put it all in perspective for me. And uh, the story is called Watching Monday Night Football in Hawaii. A pastor in Hawaii shares how he deals with this issue. Depending on where you live in the continental U.S., and Hawaii is three to six hours behind, if it's 10 p.m. in New York, it's 5 p.m. in Hawaii. Because of this time difference, the Monday night football game is played in Hawaii mid-afternoon. Now, the local TV stations delay their teleclass until evening, but the pastor in Hawaii says he's too excited to wait for the television broadcast, so he listens to the game on the radio. Then that evening, he watches the time-delayed broadcast on TV. And he says, if I know my team won the game, it influences how I watch the TV. If my team fumbles the ball or throws an interception, it's not a big deal. I think, well, that's bad, but everything's under control. I know how it ends. We win. If you're a big sports fan, my lips are not working. If you're a big sports fan, his plan makes perfect sense. It's a great feeling to know that no matter how bad the game may look at the moment, your team is going to turn it around and win. You can rise above the stress and tension of the moment if you know how the game ends. Have you ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? Now, there's a lot of great scenes in Ben-Hur, but one of the most famous scenes is Charlton Heston racing in the Colosseum, driving the four-horse chariot, the chariot race, yes? Well, Cecil B. DeMille, the director of the film, spoke to Charlton Heston before the film even started filming and said, 
I want you to drive the chariot for real. No stuntmen, no doubles. I want you to do it. And Charlton Heston said, but I've never done it before. So they set up lessons for him to learn how to control the four horses and to ride in the chariot race. Comes time for the chariot race, and Charlton Heston said to Cecil B. Namil, I can drive it, but I'm not sure I could win. Cecil B. DeMille said this, you stay in the race and I'll make sure you win. That's what Jesus is saying to us today. These are the words of God to everyone. John, Mary, Heather, you stay in the race and I'll make sure you win. We need to look for God's hand because if you can't see it in the event itself, look in the aftermath of when you're putting your life back together. God's hand will be there. Whether you're feeling like the world is coming to an end or you're feeling uncertain about the future in general or yours specifically, or you're scared about the tumultuous end predicted for the world in the Bible, remember these three things. Our task is to make the most of the present. Number two, the interceptions, injuries, and fumbles of life do not change the end of the story. And lastly, this. God says to every believer, you stay in the race, and I'll make sure you win. Amen. Our front pew is open for counsel or prayer concerns. Feel free to come forward during the last hymn. Amen.